I've been uh, teaching for the last two Wednesday nights uh, on a series called The Original. And uh, we've been breaking down uh, the first church and salvation. Most of you have been here at least one of the last two Wednesday nights. Not all of you. So uh, I want to just kind of refresh everyone. <clears throat> We've been breaking down the New Testament. Because what is, what is the question that everyone wants to know? What must I do to be saved? What must I do to be saved? And that's the goal, hopefully, maybe not for every place, but it should be for every church is to, to find salvation and to lead people to salvation. And along the way, uh, people have strayed. And as you know, as well as I know, it's no secret. Uh, I don't like talking about it all the time because I don't like negativity. But the honest truth is, is over time, uh, church has been kind of smeared. It's the, the word church and, and, and the meaning of church, is, it's, been, it's become blurred. And you don't really know exactly uh, what a church believes. There's churches out there that literally it just it matters who you are and what you believe when you ask what they believe. And so you can come up and it's just kind of, you can ask some people, what do you believe? And, and they want you at their church so bad, they're willing to just say, well, that, you know, they ask the question back, well, what do you believe? Well, we, we pretty much believe the same thing. Come on. You know, and so uh, it was not intended for that. And so I, I, I stated a couple Wednesday nights ago, and this is a, uh, this is a fact, it's a study show that there are now 34,000 different Christian denominations and religions. 34,000 different beliefs of, of what salvation is. And uh, I think we could all agree that there are not 34,000 different ways to be saved. Can I get an amen? amen. Somebody's got to be right. And uh, <clears throat> at the end of the day, it doesn't matter what I believe. It doesn't matter what you believe. What are we going to be judged by in the last day? The word of the Lord. And so when you, when you look at salvation... Everyone, most everyone, is going to get their salvation of some sort from the New Testament. I'm just giving you a summary. And they're, they're going to pull from the New Testament. And if you're not careful, if you do not understand uh, the chronological order and, and what every book that was written, who it was written to, why it was written, when it was written, a lot of times you can take a scripture and can take it completely out out of context you can take it out of context and so the first Wednesday night we broke down the New Testament and so what do we know Matthew Mark Luke and John you have the Gospels that is the first part there and that's basically a summary or a record of the death the burial the resurrection of Jesus Christ told from the eyes of Matthew Mark Luke and John that was before uh, that was before Jesus had sent his disciples into Jerusalem and, and walk with them for 40 days and set up what would be God's church. And so you have the Gospels and then you have the book of Acts. 
And that is where all theologians will agree that the first church was created. It was started. And that is in the book of Acts. And then you have where it confuses a lot of people because I would say out of the majority of that 34,000, many of those find out their salvation from the writings of Paul. And which it, that doesn't really make sense because when you go from the book of Romans all the way to the book of Jude, all of those were written by Paul and anybody that knows the Bible knows that those are referred to as the epistles, which means letters. And so uh, in the epistles, those letters that were written were all written to people who were already saved. They were written to established churches. They were written to established saints. They were written to establish people who were already saved. And so to be able to take your plan of salvation from the epistles would not make much sense because those people were already saved. The question, what must I do, was never once asked in the epistles, not one time. You only find that question in the book of Acts and then we understand that Revelations uh, is, a, is a prophecy book of what the end time uh, would do. That was the, basically the lesson from the first Wednesday night that I did this broke down into about five minutes right there. That's what, that's what we did. And so uh, last Wednesday night uh, I talked about when we established what the Lord's church was, what the first church was, uh, we, we went and we broke down which would be reasonable what, what the first church did, the original church. We broke down what their doctrine was and we went through all of that. And so uh, I'm, I've got some, some points here and then I'm gonna, we're going to break that down and then we're going to go even further breaking down what their, go, their gospel or their doctrine was. So let's summarize. What just happened prior to the Lord building and adding to his church? Stay with me now because I want to make sure I get you out at a decent hour. I think I stayed true to my, my promise Sunday. Maybe. Was it, was it in 30 minutes? Connor says no. Jeremy says yeah. I don't know who's. To, I think I was close. <laughs> James probably knows. He, he recorded it. He was like not even close, buddy. You weren't even close. So I'm going to do my best to, 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 do, to do a good job and, and get you out of here uh, in, a, in a decent hour. So let's break down what happened prior to the Lord building and adding to his church. Prior to Jesus' departure, we know that he spends 40 days specifically, as we noted before in book of Acts chapter 3, teaching them the things of the kingdom. So it is immediately prior to his ascension, he gives his disciples three very specific directives. And these, those three were this. What did he tell him? He said, go to Jerusalem. Go to Jerusalem, wait for the promise of the Holy Ghost. And he said, when that happens, be a witness to the world. And then we know that the disciples did everything that he said. The disciples followed his instructions. They returned to Jerusalem. They are filled with the Holy Ghost. And they witness to devout men out of every nation. These devout men become believers and they ask, what must, they, what must we do? And people... Peter responds exactly as Jesus trained him to respond. Make sure, make sure I get this, this right. 
So we, we have followed the events of the first church. The events in the Bible exactly as they occurred. This journey culminated in the moment where the Lord added to his church, which means accordingly or according to the rightly divided word of God, there is only one possible foundation upon which this church can be built. It's very simple. It's very clear. It's very plain. What the, the, what the first church has for us and what salvation is. Three simple steps that Peter gave the world that great day are the firm foundation on which the church is built. You remember last Wednesday night when we set the stage. We set, we set it. We placed the image in our mind. And Peter was standing on the day of Pentecost. The very first message that was ever preached to a lost and dying world. That was Peter. He had the privilege to be able to stand to them and look at them. And what's the first word that he said? Repent. Repent. He says repent. And then he says be baptized in Jesus' name for the remission of sin. And then he says be filled with the Holy Ghost. So to turn to any other scripture as the basis for the salvation message is to build upon a different foundation than the one built upon by the church with which the Lord established. So we have to understand that, that there's no other place that we can go. If we want to see what the word of the Lord says, if we want to break down what thus saith, thus saith the word of God, this is the only place in scripture where you are going to, to, to open up and be able to see clearly what the Lord has set in place. So let's break down what Peter said. Let's take a look at the three things that Peter instructed the new believers to do. What's the first one? That is repentance. Let me tell you, we must repent. We must, we must, Paul said, I die daily, every day. Brother Kerry Hodge, he would get up and he would kill the old man. He would kill the flesh. We must repent every single day of our lives. Let me tell you, there's not, there's not a day that, that you, there's not a place in your journey that you get to where you're good enough, where you've got everything, where, where you can, you can just cruise through this journey and live for God easily. There never comes a day where you do not have to repent because we're still flesh. Can I get an amen? One, one man said, said this. He was talking about lust. And he said, he said I understand there's, there's, there's spirits that are uh, spirits of perversion. And there's spirits that are, but when it comes to lust, some spirits are, are, are a, a sin of the soul, sin of the spirit, a spiritual sin. But then lust is a, 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 a sin of the flesh. You can cast out a spirit, but you cannot cast out this flesh. So there's some of us that we're, we're walking around thinking, you know, why, when am I, I going to overcome this? When am I going to overcome that? Let me tell you, there's some things like Paul had a thorn in his flesh. He had a thorn in his side. There's some things that, that, that you, you say, you, don't, let me tell you this, don't be, feel bad when you're tempted. 
Don't feel bad when you're tempted because we're all tempted. You cannot cast out this. You can't cast. Some of us are walking around in condemnation and we're walking around with our head down because the devil is tempting us or our flesh is sometimes it's not even the devil. We give him a lot of credit for stuff he doesn't do. Our flesh is out of control and we're tempted. But let me tell you, you will always be tempted. So therefore, you're always going to have to repent. This is what the Bible says, be angry and sin not. We're always going to have temptations to, to, to lose control and, and fight the urges of the flesh, whether it be lust, whether it be emotion, whatever it is, we're always going to deal with those things. I'm tired of the devil beating people up or maybe people who do not understand what, what the Word says and what God expects of us because maybe they made one mistake or had one bad thought that crossed their mind and now they they're ready to give up and quit. Let me tell you, that's not the will of the Lord. That's why he made an altar. That's why he gave us a prayer life. That's why. And so we have to repent and we better make sure that that's a part of our life. We better make sure because if you're not repenting, it's not because you're not sinning. You're probably sinning somewhere. But let me tell you this, there, there is a way to live godly. And there is a way to position yourself to win. And there is a way to, to, to you know, abstain yourself, to, to get away, to, to, to shun the very appearance of evil. It, it, there is a way to live a holy and a separate life. So we have to, number one, you have to repent. And I've, I've used this material many times, but I think it's too good not to remind you. If you already heard it, you need to be reminded. I'm reminded all the time. I remind myself all the time. But I, and I try to teach it everywhere that I go, especially to this young generation. Because this, this word repentance has, has just absolutely destroyed this generation. This generation of, of, of churchgoers, this generation of, of people, it's just re destroyed. And, and repentance almost sounds like a bad word. It's, it's that we, we think of it as a bad word. We think of, we think of it as, oh, you had to repent. No, we, we all, repentance is not just, it's not, it's, it's, a, it's a changing the way of we are living. And so we look at repentance and we only see one word all through the King James Version. All through the King James Version, we see one word. But if you'll understand, like one guy said one time, I was preaching at a little country church, and, and uh, I, 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 they were testifying, and he got to talking about the different versions of, of the Bible, and he stood up and he said, he, he started preaching against other versions other than the KJV, and I remember Brother Steve Kirkman, he said, if the KJV was good enough for Paul, it's good enough for me. And I thought, Paul didn't have the KJV. So, we're reading the, the King James Version, but we got to understand that the King James Version was translated. O Old Testament was written primarily in Hebrew. The New Testament was written primarily in Greek. And so, we see repentance all through the Bible. We see one word. But when they were translating it, they seen three words. And so, uh, just to give you a rough draft of what I'm saying tonight, and so you will understand, there's three dimensions of repentance, not just one form of repentance. What do we automatically think repentance is? Well, I'm sorry for what I've done. Let me tell you, there's more to the word of repentance than just being sorry. 
Because I can be sorry and still do what I did when I was sorry. I can be sorry and go back to the same stuff that I just came out of. I can't tell you how many times I'll look at Remy after she says a word I don't want her saying. And she'll, she'll run off saying, sorry. You think she meant that? Good gracious, no. She didn't mean that. There's more to repentance than just saying you're sorry. So the first dimension, the first word that the King James translators seen was in the book of Genesis. And, and that word, do you remember when the Bible says the Lord repented? It was a very shocking scripture because, you know, the Lord repented. That's odd that he would have to repent. But the Lord repented that he made man. You remember that? And that word that there, repentance, when repented, when the uh, King James translator translated that particular word, they seen the Hebrew word nakam, N-A-C-H-A-M, which literally means to have intense emotion. That's the first dimension of repentance. Intense emotion. How many, most of us in this place have experienced the first dimension of repentance? You remember the first time, maybe you was a teenager and, and you, you were caught in, in, in some awful sin or something you thought was the end of the world and mom and daddy found out that you went to that party or the youth group found out that you was, you was text, texting this person and, and you, whatever it was, and you ran to the altar and that first dimension of repentance came out, intense emotion. You were weeping in, in that altar. Didn't necessarily, you know, you, you were just overwhelmed with emotion. You, it was intense emotion and maybe you were sincere I'm not not making you know making light of it because it's definitely a part of, of repentance you come down and you 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 just you break unto the Lord you weep unto the Lord I remember the first time that I that I had that experience with God I, I'll never forget it I, I got down and I, I had sinned I'd done those things and I fell at the altar and I was weeping and I I was just I was I was telling the Lord I'm sorry because I was so ungrateful for everything that he had done for me. And uh, I got up from there, Brother Carlos, and I walked out, and I never changed. I didn't change that night anyways because I, I stopped at that first dimension. I can't tell you how frustrating it is to watch people come into an altar and weep and cry their eyes out. Some of them speak in tongues. Some of them don't speak in tongues. But nevertheless, they're still in the middle of the presence of God. And they walk out. And you don't see them for another six months. You know what I'm talking You know what I'm talking about. You know exactly. You know why? Because they never get past the first dimension of repentance. They never get past it. Some of you are still hanging on because you never got past the first dimension of repentance. You get to the altar and you weep and you weep and you weep, but there's no commitment. There's no dedication. There's nothing that says, hey, God, I am making a stand here. Here is a landmark. I'm laying everything down. I'm giving you, surrendering you everything that I have tonight. So that's the first dimension. Of repentance. Then you have the second dimension of repentance. And that is what some of the great people in and all throughout the, the United States and all through the world that fill up strong apostolic churches. And I'm thankful for second dimension repenters. Those are the people that sit on your pew and keep the lights on. 
These, the people that I'm talking about right now are the people who are faithful every Wednesday night. They're faithful every Sunday. They're faithful every re revival. They're faithful with their tithing. They're faithful. Those are the backbone of the church. The second dimension repenters. You find this word in the book of Ezekiel. Translators, when they begin to translate this, they did not see the word Nakam. They saw the word shub in the, in the book of Ezekiel. This word is spelled S-H-U-B-H. And it literally means to turn from your wicked ways. To turn. To make an about face. To be standing in the middle of sin. To be standing with drugs all around you. And pornography all around you. And adultery all around you. Fornication all around you. And lying and cheating and gossip all around you. People know you for this stuff. And to turn an about, an about face and walk away from it. That's the second dimension. It's when people get fed up. It's when people get tired of living that old lifestyle. It's when people get sick of being depressed and being discouraged and trying to live the way Hollywood says you ought to live and the way the government says you ought to live and the way their friends say they ought to live. They get fed up with that mess and they say, God, I'm turning my life over to you. I don't care what mama says. I don't care what my friends say. I don't care what my neighbor, neighbors say. I don't care what my cousins say. I am about to change my life. There's some people in here right now that you made that decision and it was a, it was a scary decision because it was going to go against everything you were taught. It was going to go against the grain of your relationships. It was going to go against your friends and you had to make a decision. Do I want to do I want to walk down this road? Do I want to walk down this road? I'm telling you, there's some of you that if you knew some of the stories here, if we could set, we could, we may do that because Sister, Sister Jody gave me that idea and I've, it's never got out of my mind. But have interviews one night with some of the people in this church that you think that they're good old people, that they've always lived for God. But let me tell you, there's some testimonies in this place that when they came down to the altar, they had to go against devil, the devil and hell itself. And they had to come against the adversary all by themselves with the power of God. God on their side of course but they came against everything all odds yeah. let me tell you there's some people in this place that you don't even have a clue you don't even have a clue what they were able to overcome with the help of the Lord all because they had to make the right decision and sometimes making the right decision you lose some friends along the way you lose some family along the way you lose some relationships along the way you lose pieces of your heart along the way but thank God God comes back in and puts those pieces back together and he'll make you whole again there's some people, second dimension repenters, where they walk to an altar, at an old-fashioned altar. That we have, we've modernized a lot of things, and I, I'm thankful for all the new things, but let me tell you, we, we can change our method, but we can't change our message. And we better make sure we always prevent, pre, present an altar, an apostolic altar, where people can come down and repent. I remember, Now I mentioned it Sunday. Told you the first time I ever felt the presence of the Lord when I was seven years old. And it was a long time after that. But I remember the night. I, I'd felt God several times with that first dimension of repentance. You know, you come down, the whole youth group gathers around you and they're praying for you. And then you you know, you know, you're, just, you, you're there praying and you, you, there's a part of you that believes you can change. But then there's a part of you that, that really doesn't want to. And so you, you know, it's just that first dimension. You're in that stage. And so I can't tell you, Brother Zach, how many times... 
come down to the altar in that old gym and people would pray for me and they'd lay hands on me but I didn't really mean, I didn't mean it for I didn't give my whole heart to, and I would walk out but the night there in New Albany I talk about it all the time I'll never forget it that was the second dimension of repentance that, that literally changed my life. When I walked down there, I had made up in my mind, I'm sick of this life. And I'm not, I don't care what my friends say. I don't care who says this, who says that. I don't care what they think. All I care is about what God, God thinks. And I'm going to dedicate my life to God. And I walked down to that altar that night. I remember it. And I literally, that night, I laid everything down. I laid every wrong relationship every bit of alcohol every bit of anything that was holding me back pornography lust everything that night I put it down on an altar and I made an about face and I walked out of that place and my life has never been the same see I'm telling you if some people in this place that's experienced that I wish you'd stand to your feet right now and let your neighbor know God can do it for you if he did it for me God can do it for you if he did it for me So, second dimension of repentance. And then you have the third dimension. I told you the Old, Old Testament was, was written primarily in Hebrew. And then the New Testament was written primarily in Greek. And you'll find in the book of Mark where the Lord says, Repent ye, for the kingdom of God is at hand. Jesus said that. And that word that they seen there was not Hebrew, it was Greek. It wasn't the Hebrew word nakam. It wasn't the Hebrew word shub. It was the Greek word metanoia. And I won't even try to spell it. But when he said, repent ye, for the kingdom of God is at hand. When they seen that word metanoia, it didn't mean intense emotion. It didn't mean an about face. It was past that. It's, it meant literally to think differently. To think differently. To change the way you walk. To change the way you talk. To change the way you view other people. To change the way you view church. To change the way you view living. I'll never forget the night. Brother Winslow at Brother Flakes. He didn't know us a whole lot. But he caught me after church. That night. And I don't even, I don't think I was a preacher. If I was, I had just started. I, I, I hadn't preached many times at that point. Just saying that so you'd know, he didn't know that I was a preacher. And he came up to me during the service. He said, he said, before you leave, he said, I, I need to talk to you. And you know how Brother Winslow does that sometimes and he forgets to talk to you. And I was sitting there and the place was packed out there at Brother Flakes and everybody was left. I was talking around and, and uh, he remembered me, I guess. And he, and he pulled me over to the side. He said, let me tell you. And it, was, it wasn't in a mic or anything. He said, when I seen you, he said, I seen you with a brush in your hand before hundreds and thousands of people. And he said, you were painting a picture for them. He said, you know what that means? I said, not really. He said, the Lord has called you to preach. 
He said, God's got a, a pulpit ministry on your life. And he said, you are going to be able to speak and be able to paint the picture. Now, I don't know if that's come to pass. And I don't know if that's, you know, I'm not trying to say that I, I'm, I'm good enough to paint a picture and you can see it and take you to the place. But I knew what the Lord was telling me that night. And that night, that night, he told me, he said, but you're going to have to think differently. He said, you're going to have to change the way you approach things. And, and I did. My personality, different things. I've always had an outgoing personality. But I had a lot of pride in my life. I, I had a lot of pride. I didn't want to fail at anything but Steve Kirkman. I didn't want, if I wasn't good at it, I didn't want to do it. I didn't want to do it. Now my kids, they got a little bit of that in them too. I have to make them do it. If they ain't no good at it, Remy cries every time she loses a race. And she, and she keeps on racing Brantley. I don't know what in the world she's thinking. He's 13 years old. But, but you, you know, I, I had a lot of pride in my life. And I had only been to the second dimension of repentance. I had, Brother Bobby Hall, I had only went to the altar and I'd laid down everything that, I, that was sinful in my life. I put it down on the altar. I laid it there and I, and I just, I, I, I stopped. I stopped doing everything and I became a faithful church goer. A faithful member of Jesus Name Community Church. I became a faithful member of the kingdom of the almighty God. And that was good enough for me. But God had more for me. And when I started preaching, I told you Sunday, that's why I cried because I went my first message because I didn't, I had such pride in my life. It wasn't that I was scared. I knew I could do it, but it was the fear of, of, of what if I couldn't do it? What if I wasn't good enough? What if I didn't affect people? What if people didn't care about my story? What if they didn't care about what I had to say? What if they didn't, they didn't, it didn't matter to them? And that was the scariest thing of my life at that point. I was eat up with pride. And he looked at me, he said, you are going to have to change the way you think. And he laid his hands on my head. I'll still remember that night. And he began to pray for me. And I'm telling you, something happened in the Holy Ghost that night, Brother Kevin. Something got a hold of me. And pride was, was being pulled out of my spirit, being pulled out of my soul, being pulled out of my heart. And I got back up from that place. And I knew I, really, I didn't understand it then because God had never showed me the three dimensions of repentance. But, but I look back now, I realized then that I stepped over into a, a dimension, another dimension of repentance where I repented from my pride and I realized that God, it's not about me, it's not about what they think I'm good at, it's about taking the word of God and deliver it to a group of people and let, let God do the work. Let me tell you what God's trying to do to this church. He's trying to take people in this church that you're in the second dimension right now, but because pride has us eat up and we're worried about what people think about us. Let me tell you, don't you worry about, you're some of the greatest people to ever live. You've got the revelation. You've got the truth. God chose you. Why are we worried about what the, what the world thinks of us? The world ought to look at us and say, I want to be like them and not us looking and saying, hey, I'm not as cool as they are. God he chose you. He chose you. He chose you. And so we have got to repent. He says in Luke 13 and 5, I tell you nay, but except ye repent, be ye shall all likewise perish. Mark 1 and 15 says, and saying the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent ye. 
and believe the gospel. This is why when devout men out of every nation ask what they must do, the first command Peter gave to them is to repent. He said repent. So we got to repent. We understand that, right? What time is it? I, I don't want to be too long. What time is it? I'll do it next Wednesday night if Dad will let me. 8.30. i got about 10 more minutes. I don't know what time you normally quit. 10.30. The second step after repentance was for everyone to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. Over the last 2,000 years, religion has made many changes to baptism. Many religions no longer baptize in the name of Jesus. Many have changed the purpose of baptism, claiming it is no longer for remission of sins and therefore no longer essential for salvation. Much time could be spent addressing all these different debates. But that is not the purpose of this series tonight. The single purpose of what I'm trying to teach you has been to take us back to what occurred in the very first church. Before any councils were in issued, before there were any decrees made, before any, whatever century it was, before any rules or laws or changing to the doctrines was made, to go back after Christ and change the original method of baptism. That, I don't want to talk about that right now. I want to know what the first church did. So once again, the question presented is this, why would we not do it exactly the way it was done in the beginning why not obey exactly what the original church obeyed this is what most or a lot I won't say most pull up Matthew 28 and 19 brother James Crocker I'm going, I'm going, I'm going to quit after this maybe Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. This is, what I, this is the way I explained it to Brantley. We rode all the way to South Bend, Indiana several years ago. And uh, Devin and Whitley were being married. And so we just, it was just me and him. Amelia was already there. And Remy and, and they were getting everything set up, working on the, on the uh, wedding there. And so I had a, about 11 hours of just, just teaching doctrine. You can see why it's, my kids love going on road trips with me. There ain't much radio time. Ask Brantley, we just talk about the Bible. So I asked him, I said... If we are to, to baptize in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, I said, what is that word name there? Is it singular or plural? And Brantley's scared to death right now because he's afraid I'm going to pull him out and ask him all these questions and I ain't going to do that. He said, thank you. <laughs> and he said, well, it doesn't have an S. I said, so what is it? He said, it's singular. I said, so why in the world would we baptize in three if it's talking about one? What's that one, Brantley? What's the name of the Father? Jesus. What's the name of the Son? 
Jesus. What's the name of the Holy Ghost? Jesus. All through the Bible, I can't give you one example where the baptizer or, or, or where the disciples baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. But I can give you four places where, where I can take you where the baptizer baptized them in the name of Jesus Christ. I can give you four places. There was no other place and give an example other than the name of Jesus except when John the Baptist baptized under repentance. And they had to be rebaptized. So we must be baptized in the name of Jesus. So if you've not been baptized in the name of Jesus, let me tell you, I want to baptize you personally. You've got to be baptized in the name of Jesus. And I'm going to close it up with the Holy Ghost. What's the third, th third thing Peter tells us? Them, He tells them was after they repented and they were baptized, they were re to receive the promise of the Holy Ghost. Receiving the Holy Ghost is when the Spirit of God dwells inside of us. Colossians 1.27 To whom God would make known what is riches of the glory of the mystery among Gentiles, which is Christ in you. Romans 8 and 9 But you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If so, be that the Spirit of God dwell in you. Verse 11 But if the Spirit of Him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you. John 14 and 17 Even the Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it seeth him not neither knoweth him but ye know him for the for he dwelleth with you and shall be in you the Holy Ghost is when God is living in you what's the evidence you got to do what pull up Luke 22 and 32 Luke 22 and 32 and we're going we're, we're going to break down the Holy Ghost and speaking in tongues and I'm going I'm going to let us go because I want you to believe me Luke 22 and 32. Jesus is looking at Peter. And he says, I have prayed for thee that thy faith fail not. Now let me tell you this. This right here completely kicks once saved, always saved out of the, out of the way. Now I, and I'm not trying to be ugly. I want to get it inside you right here. He has faith. He says, I pray that thy faith, thy faith. Apparently he has faith, right? He has faith. Fail not. So that tells me if you have faith, you can believe and you can have faith and it can fail you, right? He says this, so he believes. And that's what many salvation, that there are out there. You just got to believe. You just got to, you believe. And then he says, and when thou art converted. So you believe, but you're not converted. He says, I pray that thy faith fail not. You've got faith, Peter. You're the very one that looked and said, he said, who do men say that I am? He said, thou art the Christ. Thou art the Son of God. Thou art the Christ. He said, flesh and blood didn't reveal that to you. He said, you got that from, from, from God Almighty. The Spirit revealed that to you. He said, so you have faith. You have a relationship with God. But he said, you're not converted yet. You're not converted. Why? Because the book of Acts hadn't showed up. He said, and the promise of the Father hadn't been given to you. And the Spirit of God isn't living. You can believe and not have the Spirit of God living in you, Peter. You've got to make sure if you're here tonight, you listen to me. If you, you believe all day long, but the Holy Ghost has got to live in you. The Holy Ghost has got to be inside you. I don't care what anybody said. It's what the Word of the Lord says. And then go to the book of Mark. Chapter 16, verses 17. He says, 
and these signs shall follow them that believe in my name shall they cast out devils and they shall speak with new tongues he said and these signs shall follow them that believe in my name Jesus is saying this shall they cast out devils they shall speak with them. he said here's the evidence here's the evidence if they truly believe anybody can say they believe but if they truly believe he said there's the signs here's the evidence if you know what I want to know he said they're going to cast out devils in my name and they're going to speak with other tongues let me tell you right now God's got more for you there's a lot of people out there that believe and I believe that but they're not finished there's a book of Acts experience I wish we could all stand to our feet tonight and give the Lord a hand clap of praise for the power of the Holy Stay standing. You can come to the keyboard, Brother Jeremy. Acts 10, 45 and 46. And they of the circumcision, circumcision which believed were astonished, as many as came with Peter, because that on the Gentiles also poured out the gift of the Holy Ghost. For they heard what? For they heard them speak with tongues. Acts 19 and 6 and when Paul had laid his hands upon them, the Holy Ghost came on them and what happened after that? They spake with tongues. Just like 2,000 years ago. This still makes no sense to our human thinking. Many theories and commentaries exist that go to great lengths to try and prove how this experience is not necessary for us today. Again, the purpose here is not to address all the debates. However, before I leave you here tonight, I want to make three points. When the Holy Ghost fell for the first time on the day of Pentecost, the Bible says that they all, not part of them, that's what, that's what people will tell you. That this, that's just for a group. That's just for people who have elevated themselves. That's just a gift. It's not necessary. The Bible says all of them, from the least to the greatest, from the richest to the poorest, the politician, the tax collector, and the nobody, all of them spoke in tongues. All of them spoke in tongues. Remember, we find the Holy Ghost evidenced by speaking in tongues occurring just prior to the statement where the Lord adding to His church. So we know for certain this experience evidenced by speaking in other tongues is a part of what the first church was built on. When the Lord established His church, that was a big part of it. Speaking in tongues, that church was built off of it. The Bible refers to this experience of receiving the Holy Ghost as a gift. Please understand this tonight. The point to which we have arrived at in Christian religion today is this. Instead of we believers desiring and pursuing everything God has for us, we are quick to buy into religious theories that explain how this gift is not for everybody. I feel the Holy Ghost in this place. Sister Amy Meeks, sometimes it can get long and tiring and we can become weary 
and we can forget what this church was built on. It's very important to me. It's very, it may not be important to you, but it's very important to me that I understand what the word of the Lord says. When I first got in church, I didn't just, I didn't just say, well, that's what mom and dad believes, so that's what I'm going to believe. Matter of fact, do you know how, how much it would have in just absolutely thrilled me, Dylan Barnes, to be able to sit down in front of my mom and dad because I was a rebellious kid to sit and say, well, y'all are wrong. And not saying they weren't, they're, I'm not saying that they're right about everything. But when it comes to salvation, Brother Carlos, I broke it down and I studied it. I didn't take their word for it. I began to seek out my own salvation with fear and with trembling. Because I wanted, I got a genuine touch. It wasn't just a hand-me-down stuff. I wish I had the picture. It's been 79 generations. 79 generations. And there was a picture that was taken, Brother Voskis, give it to me, of a Bible that's been copied 79 times. And when you don't get the original stuff, when you don't get it for yourself, and you rely on what mama said, what grandmama said, what great-grandmama said, what grandfather did. He put the cornerstone in this church. They painted the building. And so we just come because it's a tradition. 79 copies of a Bible. You got a Bible? He showed me a Bible. Somebody took it and they copied the book. They took the book of Acts and they copied it. 79 times and by the 79th time to copy each sheet you couldn't even read the words if we're not careful that's what will happen to us we will take this for granted we won't brother K. Hodge we won't dig it out for ourselves. and before we know it our kids won't live for God their kids won't live for God we, we will be so backslidden and in a backslidden state let me tell you what has to happen we have got to get down at an altar and not rely on his experience and her experience and the one beside you experience but we've got to get down at an altar and we've got to have our own experience with God because if we don't if we don't We'll be blown by everyone to doctrine. We can let somebody who's smart, who's intelligent, because we don't understand what's going on and we didn't have the experience ourselves truly. If we're not careful, anybody, any, any person can come along and they'll talk us out of salvation. They'll talk us out of truth. They'll talk us out of it. I want to open these altars tonight and I want to give every person in this place an opportunity get back down at this altar one more time and let the Holy Ghost touch us I want to give my kids the same Holy Ghost that was given me I want to give my kids the same truth that was presented to me I want to give this church the same truth that was prayed over by the pastors that came before this before this congregation let me tell you right now we need a people that's going to be rooted and grounded in the truth Oh, hallelujah.
Hallelujah. Go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. Let God touch you right now. Oh, God, help me. Don't let me be swayed. God, don't let me be blown by every wind of doctrine, God. Lord, I've seen in the Word where you established your church, where you built your church, where Peter stood up on the day of Pentecost and preached the first sermon of truth, of doctrine that was ever preached. Oh, hallelujah. 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 